Hi team and thanks for tuning in for the Seven Millennial Podcast, a community dedicated to ambitious and successful millennials. And today with us, we have Kelsey Boer. She is a certified leadership coach and the founder of Women's Leadership Accelerator. She has created a 90-day membership program for aspiring and current female leaders who are looking to up-level their confidence, effectively manage their energy, and gain more clarity on their purpose. All of that so they can accelerate their potential and impact and thrive in their careers. Prior to this, she was working in the technical recruitment field for over five years, with her most recent role as a partner helping to grow an AI recruitment startup from the ground up. After that, she plunged herself into starting her own coaching business, and she has been doing it very successfully. You'll learn more tips on starting your own business and your own coaching practice during this episode. In the midst of it all, she also finds time to put her energy into a charitable foundation, the organization called Fit Active Beautiful, where she helps young girls become strong women. With almost a decade of experience leading teams, Kelsey's mission is to lift the potential of women and create more female leaders in this world. You'll learn in this episode how to run your own business, start your own startup, what to focus on, and how to level up and create more energy, more impact in your life. And with that, let's jump right into the episode. Hello, Kelsey. I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. How are you? Hello, Maria. I'm so excited to be here. I'm great. How are you doing? Good, good. I'm very happy you were able to join us. Uh, I know you've been really busy because you've just launched your own thing. And I'm not going to give out more information. Why don't you tell us your background, your story, and then what are you doing these days? I will start with my professional background and then we can get into personal afterwards. So I spent about five or six years in sales and recruitment in the technical recruitment industry. My last role was as a partner at an AI recruitment startup. And in about 2016, I also got my life and executive coaching certification. It's something I had been doing on the side, but kind of let my own limiting beliefs get in my way before I started doing it full time. And then I decided basically when the pandemic started, just my luck, that I was going to take the plunge and start my full-time leadership coaching business. And my company is Women's Leadership Accelerator. I love the story how you as a leadership coach had limiting beliefs. So nobody's immune. I absolutely love this. So how did you get over the limiting beliefs? And uh, how did you jump on this new journey? Initially, I had the limiting beliefs because of what I had experienced in my professional career being a young woman in a leadership environment. And so I let that imposter syndrome get to me and thinking that I was too young to be coaching others and that no one would take me seriously because of my age. And that was the original limiting belief. And then I just I started to see my work. I started coaching and I knew I had something to offer. So I went for it. And The only reason I was delayed on starting full-time is because I I got a really amazing opportunity professionally as the partner at the AI AI startup. And I knew that would equip me with and the experience to be the best coach I could be. So it all just ended up working out. So then now you launched or you, I guess you started to really go full force with the clients. And what do you see that women are most struggling with or what do you help them with? the most? 
my most recent launch is the second round of my 90 day program. And then I had other, other programs before that. And I would say the biggest struggle that I see is just that lack of clarity really, and lack of confidence in, in their own abilities and really trying to similar to my experience four or five years ago, overcoming that imposter syndrome for a lot of different reasons. And that is my program takes women from point A to point B, feeling stuck, unclear of their path and their direction, not really confident in their skills and abilities, not really either not knowing where their leadership potential lies, or if they're in a leadership role, just not honing in on it in the same way. And then point B is having that clarity, having a vision for yourself, working towards your goals and your dream life, and and really just becoming that high impact leader. And does it matter where you are, what industry you are, what position you occupy, what age you you are, or absolutely doesn't? So industry-wise, absolutely not. I'm completely open industry-wise. I definitely find that I attract people from certain industries because of my background. So a lot of my clients end up being in sales or recruitment or in tech because that's where my background is. But I've worked with women across the board. And then in terms of age... In my mind, my target age range is usually between 25 and 40. However, I've worked with younger women and I've worked with older women. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm relatively open on that front. The only thing that I stick to is either aspiring or current female leaders that I really like to work with because the aspiring haven't tapped into that leadership potential yet. And my overall mission is to lift the potential of women and create more female leaders in the world. So honing in and and working with those women who haven't tapped into it yet is is important. And then also the women who are leading, but they've been in the role for a couple of years and maybe they got promoted, but haven't actually been taught how to be a manager. And then that's where I come in as well. Now, why women? Is it because men are not coachable? So why women is really based on my own experience in the professional world. And even in my personal life, I just always saw a gap. And in the professional world, I was always a female leader in male dominated environments. And I, and I just saw a huge skills gap there, not necessarily because of skills, but because of that lack of confidence and in their own abilities. And I just, it's always when I was in those leadership roles, I was always dedicated to bringing women up the ranks and and ensuring that they were promoted because I wanted to have more representation. And and that's really why I continue to focus on women, because I see that there's a lot of potential and we have not hit that yet as a society. So why do you think women have, I guess, not more problems, but I guess why they're problems in the first place? Why do you think women don't feel like they're good enough or worthy enough or have enough experience or have the right opportunities? What is it with us? So uh, there are a lot of different reasons, I think, but something I learned about many years ago is actually how we're raised and how we're raised as men and how we're raised as women. And men and women are raised differently just because of society. And it's not even any of our parents' fault or issue. It's just how society has been. And women are raised to be sensitive and emotional and we're raised to be in tune with other people's feelings and compassionate, whereas men are sometimes raised to be like not show emotion and be more aggressive and tough. And, and I think it really does come from that in, in some, in some way, shape or form, there's definitely a part of that. And then I think the worthiness part can really come from, a, from a couple different areas. And a lot of the times it's, it's our, again, our upbringing, because 
And this is how limiting beliefs are formed because children see things in black and white. So if, if someone isn't paying attention to them, then the limiting belief of not deserving attention starts. And that is for men or women whole. And I do think the whole not being worthy thing isn't specific to women, but it usually does stem from something like that. It could come from it, nothing traumatic, just how we interpreted what was happening in that moment. I like that you said that, you know, it comes with women and men. It just maybe women show it a lot more or maybe women always keep it in the back of their mind and always ask themselves. Jordan Peterson, and I'm a big fan of Jordan Peterson. He talks a lot about how women are, you know, a lot more agreeable and that's according to research and asking for a raise, asking for that promotion, salary increase, all of those things women will think 17 more times about asking versus men, when men will just go and do it. So for women, I guess, how do we gain that confidence? Is there a tip or a trick or a daily practice that we got to follow? When it comes to applying for jobs, <laughs> a, man, a man will have one of the qualifications and he'll apply and a woman will have nine out of 10 and not apply because they think they don't have a chance for whatever reason. And taking messy action is a huge thing that not only I do in my business, but a thing that I recommend to all of my clients. Like, Don't wait until you're ready. Don't wait until something is perfect. Just go for it. That is the perfect advice because I, I mean... Totally agree with it. When I was in business school and finance, banking, I mean, tech, banking, uh, the industry the same, dominated primarily by men. And there's no really reason for it. It's not like the field is not open to women. It's just for some reason, I always found interesting how women just don't go there. It just feels like, and I don't know what those issues are. I mean, I'm sure there's a bunch of different reasons. The time, the skill level, the commitment, not finding the right mentors could be one of those things. Now, for you, where do you think women can find good mentors? Where should they look for them or for good examples? Or if they're trying to achieve a leadership role in their organizations that primarily dominated by males, how do you go about it? Yeah, I think there could be a couple different ways that they could go about it. But at the end of the day, you are in charge of your own career development. So approaching your manager and having that conversation with them is never going to be a bad idea. And maybe that manager isn't your mentor, but having that open conversation about your development and where, where they see you going, where you'd like to go in the next 12 months and how you can come up with a development plan together of how to get there is definitely a great way to move up an organization because you're showing the leadership by taking hold and taking control of your own development instead of expecting them to give it to you. I have a few people who ask me all the time, you know, how do you bring it up? Like, is there a certain way so you don't come off as pushy or as bitchy or <laughs> whatever every other word used to describe women who just go and ask for what they want? But what's the balance between being too agreeable and nice, but also asking for what you want in the right way? I think this comes from a, the agreeable place comes from a place of kind of beating around the bush and just saying, I want to talk about my career development and just being completely open. Like this is, and and I think another thing that I I push my clients on is how to communicate these things. So nonviolent communication is something that I integrate into my coaching and it has everything to do with communicating from the heart and communicating from a place of compassion instead of being in a reactive state. So the four components of nonviolent communication are observing, feeling, needing, 
and then requesting. And so what that would look like in a conversation like that is just laying out an observation without any form of evaluation being applied to it. So we never have meetings about my performance because never implies an evaluation. And instead, we it's been six months since our last meeting. So this is why I think it's important to have an, a meeting about this and then how that makes you feel. So this is important to me and, and makes me feel fulfilled, let's say. And then what your need is there. And of course, communicating the need to have a plan for, for the development and then the request that you have from them. Can we come up with a plan to work on this together? Does that make sense? Yes. And I love this. This applies to work and life and relationship. I'm going to go bring it up to my partner basically after this call and be like, have a need. Okay. So that that's how you negotiate. Now, interesting part, negotiating money and salary. Consider we're at the year end, you know, the 2021 is fast approaching. How do you discuss the sensitive topic about money with your boss? If you want to raise, it's a tough year but you've done maybe very well, or you overperformed, or you've achieved all the objectives that were set for you. How do you handle that conversation? Yeah, I, I really think that conversation, because here's the thing, the conversation completely changes based on what you're doing. So I always talk to my clients about this. If you're in sales or recruitment or something that's commission-based, it's very, I won't say easy, but it is a little bit easier to negotiate more because you're contributing to the bottom line of the business at the end of the day. And you know that you're contributing to the bottom line. You know exactly how much you're contributing. So for most of my career, it was never a point of contention for me because I was always commission-based. What I think it changes a little bit when your role is not commission-based because your value comes from a different place. And even though something that you have developed or contributed to is contributing to the bottom line, you're not necessarily seeing the direct response from it. So that one, I think the approach would be, here's how I exceeded my expectations or my targets. And here's the value that I bring to the table. And this is why I'm different from others. And then that's how you could potentially negotiate a raise. This is really good. I like it. Yeah. Cause the same here, you know, a couple of people ask me, what do you do? You know, how do you negotiate your salary, your targets, everything else? And the same here. If you're in sales-driven environment and you're bringing a certain amount of clients with a certain amount of dollars, you see it all and it's basically your, your graph that you give to your boss and say, hey, I've contributed X. I'm getting Y. This is a percentage. I think that percentage should be increased. But when people are, for example, in accounting or marketing or a team environment and supporting role, right? Like it's very difficult to say, well, this is a tangible number of dollars that I brought in. If you're in those roles like marketing and accounting and internal support, your, I guess, contribution is not the same. You don't see the same results and your boss might be more willing to bypass your promotion or raise? Is there a way to insist on things and like maybe certain triggers to say or a way to plan for this conversation beforehand? I think on top of the few things that I mentioned, like just uh, just ensuring that you are going going above the mark and you are making a contribution. And, and a lot of some of the things that I like to suggest is what sort of process improvement or what sort of value have you brought to your team that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Like, what have you done that has changed the way your team works? And what have you done that has provided value to the organization in a way that they can replicate this moving forward? So 
I had one of my clients create a performance review structure for her team and the company didn't have a performance review structure. So now the company is adopting that entire performance review for the rest of the organization and the rest of the teams. So sure, that didn't contribute to the bottom line, but it's important to invest in your people and make them feel special. So well, and with that case, I like that you brought up the example, because in that case, she can basically price out a similar consultant engagement from someone outside the organization who would have brought in the same system. How much would that cost for the company? How much she actually saved by implementing herself? And that's basically her compensation. So I guess that's how you can do it. Exactly. Exactly. So the value that you're bringing, it's, it's either saving the, the company money or saving on efficiency. And typically, companies spend money to make process is more efficient anyway. So yeah. Okay. So then let's jump into the business as it is now. So you were a partner, you had a corporate career. Now you're starting a completely new thing as a business owner, as a coach, as a person who has clients, and you're reliant on yourself. I assume most of the time there's no, you know, 17 people who support you on every initiative. How is it running a business, you know, shed some light on being a founder? It is a roller coaster, <laughs> to say the least. And it's funny because I talk to other entrepreneurs and we send little memes and gifts to each other and we'll send like, and we always just equate it to a rocket ship taking off and then blowing up halfway in the air. Like that's entrepreneurship. <laughs> it is, I, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. And I'm so happy that I started doing this full time at the beginning of the pandemic, because I know that if I can get through this, I can get through anything in my business. Now, is there any things like you encountered and you're like, holy crap, I did not expect this. Or how do I do this? Like, is there any advice that you can give to entrepreneurs who are starting out on the same journey? Yeah, so many things. (laughs) I could go on for a while about my entrepreneurship advice, but I think the biggest thing that I mentioned before is that that taking messy action and progress is better than perfection. So a lot of the time we get caught up in the minor details, like our logo and our business name, because we think we're going to be stuck with that forever, but you're not stuck with that forever. That that can change and no one's going to judge you for it. And that's a big thing as well as no one is judging you as hard as you're judging yourself. And then, oh my God, this is huge. Biggest thing for me is investing in yourself. What is that? What does that mean? Investing in yourself, like break down. Yes. I'm going to, yeah. Breaking it down. I've spent almost 10 K on myself this year on business mentorship. And honestly, it has accelerated my growth and ability to build my business way quicker than I would have ever been able to do it on my own. So I went from having a small offer to a high ticket, valuable coaching offer in six months and made back my investments before I'd even finished my final mentorship program. And it's the same thing for my program that I offer. Sure, women could potentially get to the place where they want to be eventually, but I've developed a 90-day program to help you get there quicker. Yeah, I mean, people trust you and want to invest in you more if you can walk the walk and have invested in yourself. So that was huge for me because all of the lessons I've learned in the past year probably would have taken me three or four years to, to figure it all out and build my business up. So that, that money was the best money I ever spent. And the mentorship I got, I learned so much. So yeah, that's a really, really big piece of advice I have as well. So then how do you find, let's break that one down. Cause that's interesting because, you know, spending money, I think everybody should be spending money on themselves, whether it's courses, education, certification, building your own business, hiring the people for the right skills. But with you, how did you find a 
the right person to help you with this? And how did you know that spending that $10,000 would be worth it? Here's how I view spending money on myself because I've invested lots of person throughout my entire life, personal development, therapy, everything along those lines. And in anything in life, you get what you pay for. And I just knew like the one business mentorship program, the final one that I invested in was 5,000 US and it was 90 days and it was with someone extremely reputable. And I saw a lot of testimonials and people had reached out to me who had taken the program because I'd reached out to them to get their feedback. And they said great things about it, but I, I figured if this is going to be this expensive and it's this reputable and there's, there's, there's testimonials and all of these people who've had a great experience with it, why not? This is exactly what I need right now in this moment. And I don't want my coaching business to be a side hustle. I want this to be a six, seven figure business at some point in my life. And I know that this program will get me there. So yeah, I think it was, it was a bit of a leap of faith. And then also understanding that you get what you pay for. I I like that advice because it's basically what you say. You do your research. You don't just sign up because you got an offer on LinkedIn or Instagram. But as long as you take the steps and you're right, a lot of the times price is reflective of value that you're going to get. So clearly going to do that. Now, any kind of lessons that you learned that you never thought about? And obviously during COVID, a lot probably happened in your business. But what were those? So yeah, lots and lots of lessons learned. A couple of the biggest ones are ready isn't a feeling, it's a decision. You're ready, just do it. And that was a big one for me because I I think that's why when I got my coaching certification many years ago, I was waiting until I was ready. And so that was a big slap in the face. And (laughs) also just how to run and build a business from the ground up completely by myself. I mean, I've, I've built a business as a partner, but I've had people with me. So actually doing everything on my own and figuring out how to do that. Like I can code now, I can fix my website. I can write content that sells all these things that I never saw in my future. I'm I've learned how to do. And of course I'm not an expert, but I've gotten a lot better and feel confident in my ability to do that. And Another big thing in terms of the content piece is that any day that I feel like my content isn't landing or my engagement isn't that great, that it's actually making a bigger difference than I think it is because there are lurkers everywhere (laughs) for anybody. The lurkers are there. They may not engage, but they read your stuff. And sometimes I get a message from people that that don't really like or comment on my stuff, but they say that my content has impacted them and it makes them reflect and think about their life. So that was a huge lesson as well, because I was being hard on myself thinking my content wasn't landing, but it is. And something I want to pass along to everyone else. If you ever think that what you're doing isn't landing, think about the lurkers. (laughs) Think about the lurkers. This is going to be an Instagram post. Think about the lurkers. And I totally agree with you on that because I have a lot of people who never comment, never, you know, they'll like, they'll never share. But then they'll slide into my DMs saying, hey, whatever you mentioned, those are all the questions that I'm bringing up to you being like, okay, you're a perfect person in recruiting and owning your own business and coaching women. You're the great person to ask. So lurkers, just always think about lurkers. (laughs) Okay. So engagement. And I assume you're talking about social media content. Yes. Social media engagement and content. Yeah. So did you have to start from scratch during this pandemic as you started the business? Oh, yeah. And how was that process? 
because 2020 is a new game. Uh, Instagram has been around for 10 years. There's been a lot of changes, algorithms. What are you doing on social media? What did you find as scaling? What are the, some tips? Give us some advice. Yeah. So it was really overwhelming at first and I really didn't know what I was doing, but <laughs> now <laughs> if I'm being completely transparent, I just, I was just posting and hoping for the best, but now I have a system and it works both on Instagram and LinkedIn. I utilize both platforms and the biggest piece of advice when it comes to writing content is always appealing to your cold, warm, and hot leads. And basically on a weekly basis or bi-weekly basis. Personally, I'm weekly. I try to post three times a week, but when that becomes overwhelming, then I tranche it out. But so cold leads is someone who's just getting to know you and you want to share what your mission is and help turn them into a warm lead. So you're trying to communicate what your mission is, what you stand for, and just something personal about you. And then the warm leads, now they now they like you, now they're into you, and they want to learn from you. So you provide some sort of trading and value add for them, which then turns them into a hot lead. And a hot lead is, here are the results I've gotten, check my clients for themselves. And so that has been monumental in terms of content. And then on top of that, direct outreach, because I don't use paid ads, eventually I will, but I'm a really big fan of organic marketing. and. I start conversations with new people every single day. And eventually that turns into a lead. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes they, they ignore me. But I, my goal, especially during a launch like I am right now, is 10 new, at least 10 to 15 new conversations a day. And it might take an hour, but then I've started the conversation. I've put myself out there. First of all, how do you find those human beings who you think are going to be good for your program? Second of all, how do you reach out? Is it liking all of their posts? Is it commenting on some or is it just sliding into DMs and telling them what your offer is or what you like about them? It's always focused on relationship building first. So I won't talk about my offer until I've kind of, I've determined that I think they could potentially be someone that I could help. On Instagram, it could be anything from people who follow me or people who like my posts, like thanks for liking or my post or thanks for connecting thanks for adding me. And then a little introduction about myself, who I am and what I do. So then I'm still setting the tone of the conversation. Like, yes, this is what I do. This is what I help women with. So they know. And then if you don't mind me asking, how did you find my page or something? And that's usually how I started off or I'm a lurker. <laughs> I've been lurking around. <laughs> AKA calling out all the lurkers. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then just continuing to nurture from there. So the conversation could go really in any direction. I don't really have, I mean, I kind of have a format I follow, but not necessarily. It could, depending on how they answer, I just carry it from there, ask them sometimes something simple, how their 2020 is going, how their role's going so far, how are they enjoying their role, what are challenges that have come up, what are some learning experiences, just see what direction it takes. I like that. I, I like that, you know, you, you consistently engage every day with at least with 10 people. Now, how do you find them? Is it a certain hashtag that you're looking for? Is it a certain human you follow? And then you look at who follows them and you, you lurk around <laughs> asking for a friend. My lurking abilities this year. Wow. They've just like skyrocketed. Um, <laughs> so other than people who, because the great thing about posting content is I'm constantly getting new followers and people engaging with me. So that's always my first step is, and same with LinkedIn, any single person that adds me or engages with my content, I'm making sure to send them a message. 
And then the next step after that is a couple of different areas. So one of the more creative things that I did this week, so, and this was to find people on LinkedIn, but I went to Web Summit, which is a massive tech conference. And I specifically attended talks that were focused on gender equality and women in tech and everything like that. And I went through the attendee list and added everybody. (laughs) And then I sent messages to everyone. And honestly, that's what I suggest to anybody trying to find clients on LinkedIn. Go to events with people that have shared interests that align with your business and then look at the people who are actually there and then and then add them. Uh, So that's been really, really good. And then Instagram, yeah, hashtags or I'll follow other, let's say, leadership or career coaches that have a massive following. And I, I take a look at the people who have engaged with their content as well. It kind of summarizes what I what I tried to do. So I was like, I like the attending web summit because I have attended a bunch of online conferences, but sometimes I find that it's like hard to see where they're from or you try to engage on the platform and you don't add them on LinkedIn or Instagram and then lurk. Okay. So I guess now that you started your own business going forward in 2021, what do you think is the biggest trend that's coming up? So for the coaching industry, I've already seen a lot of pretty explosive growth. And I think that it will continue, especially now, because with COVID, everybody's been spending more time with themselves and reflecting. And I really do think that now more than ever, there's even more of a need and desire for coaching to speed up progress and reach goals because people have been sitting with themselves and thinking about what their major goals are and have a stronger desire to achieve them. I like, I like the coaching. I had um, Jordan uh, Jill on the episode a couple of weeks ago, and she's a creator of uh, her systems VIP days. So what she basically does is helps the business to create a bunch of systems and then transform it in a day. And she basically said the same thing. Coaching experts, that's where the companies are going. They're either going to hire experts within their personal in-house team instead of paying the fees, or they're going to hire expert and coaches to coach their team to get better with culture, the systems, engagements, whatever else there is. So I totally see that as a thing. Now, for people who might be, you know, very experienced in their industry, doing whatever they have for the past 5, 10, 15 years, might be great coaches. How do you make a plunge (laughs) to start your own business and be a coach and be independent entrepreneur just like yourself? I mean, I think ultimately it comes to the desire. So if they they are an expert in their field and they feel that they want to have a greater impact and think that they can have a greater impact outside of their organization, then that's the type of person who should make a plunge. But I don't think every single expert who's really good at something is is meant for coaching because some people just that's just not what they like to do (laughs) or not good at coaching. (laughs) Yeah. Like coaching is there's definitely an art to it. And that's another thing with taking the plunge is that especially, I mean, you were probably exposed to it being in the finance world. You have to have, there's this, well, not even a belief is you just have to have so much education and all these certifications and all of these things. And I think we society is, is slowly starting to come away from that. And yeah, I have my life in executive coaching certification. And of course, it helps me in some capacities, but I've gained a lot more from everything else outside of that certification as a coach. And my own experiences have helped me to be a better coach more than that certification. 
So there's that and, and not letting that belief get in your way, because I think a lot of people think like, well, I need to go back to school or I need to get a million certifications and sure, get the certification. Great. Like have the piece of paper. People will trust you more, but don't let it hold you back from at least starting and taking a client on here and there and gaining the exposure, gaining the reputation, building up testimonials. But again, it depends on the field. Of course, someone in the health and nutrition field, you need a certification, you need the education. So if someone is advising you on what to put in your body and what to do with your, with your health, like that should very much be someone who, who is certified or, or the education in the field. But on it, from a career standpoint, there are a lot of different options there. I like that you mentioned that, you know, you, you have to basically validate not everyone is a coach and you got to be very honest with yourself because it's easy to get the certification. It's easy to pay a couple hundred dollars, a couple thousand dollars to get the certification and the letters behind your name. But that's not everything. Like you also have to be able to have the resiliency to deal with the no's and to have the perseverance to deal with the crappy days. Because I'm sure not every one of your days is like, hmm, I wake up at 12 p.m., work for a couple hours and then just figure it out. Like entrepreneurship is hard. Running your own business is hard. And I think that's the part where, you know, you're saying that you, you also have to be a good teacher because we all know that, you know, we've all went to school universities where our professors were crap or our teachers were crap. <laughs> they might know the things that they're doing and they're great in research and they're so smart, but they just can't relay the knowledge or be relatable. And yeah, I think taking the inventory of your skills first before you make the plunge, is probably a good idea. Exactly. And, and you hit the nail on the head there. Understanding if, if you are ready to hustle and suffer sometimes because entrepreneurship is not easy. And in order to be a coach, you are on your own and you are doing everything, your sales, your marketing, your operations, your process improvements. And then on top of that client delivery and ensuring all of your clients have a great experience. So it's hard and it's worth it, but it's something that you need to think about being ready for and think about that you're, you, yes, you'll have flexibility and everything that the influencers on Instagram and social media brag about, but <laughs> it's the flexibility comes at a, at a price. That's what everyone says. You know, you may be not doing nine to five, but now you're ended up doing 10 a.m. to 11 p.m. And that's really not the flexibility. And now your weekends are no longer your weekends because you're prepping and doing the coursework and the research and a lot of other things. So flexibility is a perceived flexibility. You got to put the time and the effort in to really start making the influencer lifestyle. I, I, I like that. <laughs> exactly. And that's another tip that I always like to mention to entrepreneurs coming out of the gate, especially if you are utilizing social media for your marketing is to position yourself as an entrepreneur as opposed to an influencer. And the reason for that is because an influencer, sure, you'll get a lot of follows. People will engage with your content. But an influencer, I mean, honestly, people don't know what the hell you do. <laughs> and if I'm being completely transparent, they don't know what you do. <laughs> what do you stand for? What do you do? How do you help people? <laughs> and I mean, not the nicest way. <laughs> Oh, it's like the worst Thanksgiving dinner at your grandma's where she, <laughs> there's this uh, TikTok song, uh, an accountant. What do you do? You're an accountant because nobody asks you what you do if you tell them that you're an accountant. Literally the best tip ever. 
Uh, okay. So then obviously running yourself like a business, love the advice because at the end of the day, you are a business and you basically have the same functions as a business should be. You have to outsource for your skills. You have to make sure that you manage your time, your profit margins, your cash flow, all of that good stuff. So how do you come up with the offer? So for you, when you started the coaching business, I mean, there's all kinds of coaches and you could coach on different things. How did you narrow down what you're going to help people with? And then how did you narrow down or how did you create the 90 day program? Like, is there a, a template that there is somewhere out there that you can put all your knowledge in, figure it out? Or was it a lot of trial and error? Was it you asking people? What was the process? So there's a couple of different things that I did. Definitely trial and error. And I tested a few things out on some clients early on in my business and tested tested some ideas I had out on friends originally and things that I had been doing as I'd been coaching on the side. But in terms of the actual process I followed, and this was something I followed within that 90-day program I was part of, is first coming up with who I want to help and my niche. Because the most important thing in the world before coming up and developing an offer is niching down as much as possible and deciding exactly what, who and what my ideal client is. And what we call them in the coaching world is our ideal client avatars. So we build our ideal client avatar. Her name is Maria. She's 30 years old. And we just, we go through everything. Like anything you can think of. It's what does she eat for breakfast? What is she thinking about right now? And we just design everything. So we know our ideal client better than they know themselves. And that's the goal. And then the niche is just the area that we want to focus on. So really narrowing in, okay, so what have I helped with in the past? And what have I been good at in my career? And what have, because a lot of the times coaches get into the field because they have experienced the same transformation themselves. And then they've come up with a system to help you experience the transformation at an accelerated rate. So that's usually where the initial ideas come from. And then designing the offer, it could, yeah, it's, <laughs> I, I do a lot of market research as well. So I have market research calls before designing my offer, usually with 10 to 15 people, just asking them, you know, what are your goals? What are you working towards in the future? Where would you like, like to see yourself? And what's the cost of staying the same? And all of these questions and just finding out a little bit more about, and that's how I can also know, understand my clients better than they know themselves because I've conducted the market research. And then usually I can produce an, an offer around all of the information I get back. And at the very least, I produce content around all the information I get from the market research as well. I like that, you know, you, you either produce an offer or content because your efforts are never wasted. And that's a good thing to keep in mind. Like, you know, what's the worst that can happen? As long as you can reuse the information later on, I think the time is not wasted. So that's a good tip. And then uh, helping, figuring out what you've helped someone or what you've done and how you transformed yourself. And that's how you start. Also good. Because I feel like I would be the person who would be going for what are other people doing? What are they helping with? I feel like I can do the same. Yeah. And that's, that's typically how I would say most coaches start off. And that's another thing because finding a need in the market is important. So there's a couple different areas to focus on. So, and, and I always like to say like, yes, do something that you're passionate about, but also what are you really, really good at? Because if you continue to stick with your passion, your offer and who you serve and your niche is going to change every six months. 
So what are you really good at? What do you want to stick to? And also, of course, there's, there's an element of passion in there, but just letting passion lead you could potentially lead you astray. So in terms of your personal routine, if you are a solopreneur, entrepreneur, how do you structure your days? What is the day in the life of Kelsey look like? I try to sit, and especially during COVID, I try to stick to a relatively similar routine than what I was having when I was in the corporate world because it keeps me motivated and it keeps me engaged. So regardless, I'm still waking up at 6.30 or 7 a.m. I have my morning workout, whatever, meditate, journal, read my intentions, and then I'm ready to go into the day. And my calendar looks like Tetris and <laughs> looks like a complicated game of Tetris because I time block everything, even my breaks, because I want to make sure I take that break because I deserve that break. And time blocking is monumental for me. So I might not have a lot of client calls or meetings on a day, but I'm time blocking. And then also, so I don't experience any sort of energy leaks. So you experience energy leaks when you are switching from multiple different tasks that are kind of in different areas and not really aligned. So I make sure to put all of the tasks that are aligned with each other into one of my blocks. So for an hour, I'll focus on responding to emails, responding to DMs, responding to LinkedIn messages, and then outreach and actually starting new conversations. And everything's in the same area. So I can just be focused on that task. And then the next hour, well, I always have buffer time if I do have client calls. And that's another big tip for anyone in sales or recruiting or anybody who is on calls all the time. It is so important to schedule that buffer time. So 15, 20 minutes in between each call, because otherwise, and I've experienced this even as a coach, I've, I've had two or three clients back to back and I'm, I'm done for the day. It's just so draining and you need that time to reset and then get ready for the next one. So that's a huge thing that I, so my, my calendar looks like Tetris, but it's not as busy as it actually looks. I like the giving the breaks because I noticed with the COVID routine, sometimes if there's like a technical glitch or something happening or the call is running five minutes late, you look like a total disaster showing up to your next call five minutes late. Totally understand where you're coming from. So I guess the books, resources, and tips that you could recommend to our audience and how can they get better at whatever they're doing and to get, to get as good as Kelsey? The biggest thing I coach my clients about, and this is a huge, huge tip, uh, is a concept called reframing. And reframing is basically like course correcting or auditing a negative bias. And the principles behind it are pretty simple. Human beings assign meaning to everything that happens in our lives, positive or negative. We assign me, we are meaning making machines. And when something bad happens, you can interpret its meaning in a way that hurts your progress or in a way that's And so always trying to shift the meaning of events into a narrative that's more aligned with your goals and continued growth. And so what that looks like is it can really apply to anything. So if you've been passed over for, for a promotion, well, now you have more time and energy to look for a different career that you're actually excited about or fail to get traction on your business idea. You could have wasted years and years just thinking about it and never taking action on it. Sure, you didn't win. and People didn't like your idea, but you learned. And in the long run, that's what's going to matter. In any scenario, the key to is to examine what happened and then choose the interpretation that helps you the most. I love this. 
I think I think everybody could do more of that. I I need to do more of that dealing with challenges. What else? One of the you know quick tidbits that you can give us all to you know to feel better about ourselves, to be more confident. Maybe something around mental health that is definitely all of us are dealing with. What have you been doing in regards to that? Yeah, reframing is a big one, and then also just. So when those negative feelings come up, not suppressing them and not suppressing anxiety and let, and just letting it be there and just reflecting on why it's there at the moment and just being with yourself. Cause I think a lot of the times, and I think it's a combination of society and our upbringing, but we, we tend to suppress those negative emotions and then we blow up when that arises, just be with it. And also investing in self-care incorporating self-care into your daily routine is of, of course important. And I think on top of that, I mean, I know I don't, I think I'm sure everybody's been doing a ton of reading and listening to podcasts because <laughs> what else are we going to do? But I, I think in terms of my book recommendations for women, every woman on the planet should read Untamed, Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Have you read it? I, I love it. I mean, I, I love the book. So how I was mentioning nonviolent communication, there's actually a book about it. I would definitely highly recommend anyone in the business world or just anyone to, to read that. Not necessarily on the mental health side, but it is just very helpful. And two books, I think, on the mental health and coaching side that I thought were really great is The Courage to be Disliked. It's all about a philosopher working through a bunch of different scenarios with a student and then the five personality patterns, which just helps you understand you and your emotions on a way deeper level. Those are awesome. And my 2021 list is filling up. Thank you. So I guess 2021, what's in store for Kelsey? What, what is going to happen with the business? What are our big audacious goals? Oh, big audacious goals. I definitely want to hire someone. I think I'll start with a virtual assistant. And I think three years down the road is when I plan to have a team, but I really do love being on my own as much as it's a grind. It's a hustle. I just love it. So I think in terms of big audacious goals is to, I offer a women's leadership accelerator is going to stay the same, but I want women's leadership accelerator to be the best leadership program for women on the planet. and. I ask my clients at the end of every 90 days or even in, in the middle of the program as well for feedback and what I can do to make it the best program. And I'm constantly improving it. So by next year, I want it to be the best. I love it. I love it. Can't wait for 2021 and see what's going to happen. I'm sure it's going to be the best year yet. I'm excited. Okay. So everyone who comes on the show, we ask the following. A millennial is, a millennial should be, and a millennial is not. Okay. A millennial is someone who is driven by purpose and challenges societal norms. Oh, love it. Okay. A millennial should be whatever the hell they want to be. That is absolutely right. And a millennial is not lazy and entitled, contrary to popular beliefs out in the business world. (laughs) Right. Uh, One of my guests the other, the other day said millennials are the inventors of side hustle. And I felt it. Because it feels like that is the truth. Like every person that I know in our generation is doing something on the side, whether they have a corporate career or a business or two or three, they're all doing something on the side. So it, re- it really resonated. So I, I agree with you. Yeah, I love, I love that. A millennial is someone with a side hustle. So good. 
So where do our listeners find you? Where do they connect with you? Where do they learn more? Yes. So combination of places, I'll give my website, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So my website is just my name, kelseyboyer.ca. Boyer is B-O-Y-E-R. And then my Instagram handle is Kelsey Aaron Boyer. So Aaron is E-R-I-N. And then on LinkedIn, they can find me, Kelsey, and founder of Women's Leadership Accelerator. I love it. Thank you. Thank you, Kelsey. Okay. Is there anything we haven't covered that maybe you want to talk more about, discuss, mention? The only thing is that Women's Leadership Accelerator is open for enrollment. So I am starting with clients in the first week of January and... Definitely. I opened for enrollment last week. I'll be speaking with potential clients over the next couple of weeks. So if this sounds like something that will be of interest to you, if this sounds like you reach out to me. Love it. And I think everybody should because 2021 is the year of conquering your dreams and goals post COVID, hopefully. Serious fingers crossed. (laughs) And it's time to invest in yourself, you know, to get all of those uh, limiting beliefs out and all the new awesome beliefs in. Thank Kelsey. You've been amazing. And I can't wait to catch up next year. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you having me. 